Welcome to the Self-Helpful Podcast. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is the podcast people tune into for in-depth discussions on the latest research from our foremost leaders in self-improvement, so you can be growing and more equipped to live at your fullest capacity in body, mind, and soul. At the end of the day in our lives, there's nothing we desire more than love. To be chosen by others and given their affection, devotion, and commitment. Yet relational statistics showcase we are pretty poor at achieving peaceful, enduring, and really fulfilling love. Bottom line, most of us are doing it wrong. We define love incorrectly, and we pursue it errantly. That may sound like a big claim, but I think in a few moments you will agree with me and find a new lease on your ability to arrive at love immediately. My guest is Humble the Poet. He's a Canadian-born rapper, spoken word artist, poet, internationally best-selling author, and former elementary school teacher. What began as reciting spoken word poetry in coffee shops to impress girls evolved into a creative adventure that has spanned the last 10 years for Humble, crossing genres, mediums, and oceans even. His first two books, Unlearn and Things Nobody Can Teach Us have become international bestsellers. What caught my eye was his huge social media following and him using that platform to help people learn and grow, and in this case, to love. His new book is called How to Be Loved. And friends, I read the book and it just resonated. It was a little mind, it was a big mind shift actually which is why I ultimately invited him on the show. I have so many high-profile doctors and professors and researchers, and yet Humble speaks from the research in his own life, very instinctively and intuitively. He headlines the concept of his book with, love doesn't have to be earned or found, it has to be realized. Don't let that just sound like a pithy statement. Listen to what we're about to cover, and you'll understand why it's so powerful. This show is going to change your paradigm on what love is and how to finally, with peace, realize it. Find Humble's new book, How to Be Loved, anywhere, and find him and all his social media at HumbleThePoet.com. If you find value from this self-helpful podcast, it would be great if you would let us and our guests, like Humble Know, leave a review. Best thing you can do is talk about what you heard here with someone else. Help it resonate with you more by discussing it and uh, bless somebody else by giving them a great topic to talk about. You can always find me at my website or social media at kevinmiller.co. Next up, my conversation with Humble the Poet on redefining and realizing love. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. 
being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Humble, it's interesting. Last week, I spent about three hours with Dr. Robert Waldinger. He's professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. And my talk with him will publish after this show drops with you. And he heads up the world's longest scientific study on happiness. And the punchline of it is its relationships. Mm. Here then comes your book that I've been deep into the past couple days. And you are not a, uh, you know, you were a school teacher. You're not a doctor, not a professor, not at an Ivy League uh, college. You're a rapper, a poet. Um, and in the intro of your book, you say, if we dig to the root reason of why we do anything in our lives, it's because of love, which I'm going to say relationships. And I just loved that coming from you because like you, I'm not up in an Ivy league tower. I have no pedigree, no doctorate, whatever. I've just kind of been living life. And here we are. I mean, I got to tell you, your book just resonated strongly with me and that's why we're sitting here. And, uh, thank you. Thank you. thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for making time to read the book. You know, these days, the investment required to sit down and read a book, you know, is, uh, feels more and more uh, expensive for people. So I really appreciate you doing that. And, I, um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I appreciate that. It, it does. Uh, and you know that as, as well as I do. And, and But I like that for you to be, you know, answer that because I, I feel a kindred spirit in that. Who am I to be sitting here talking about self-help with all the best self-help books written by a lot of people with the big pedigrees? I don't have that. And yet I've lived a lot of life and I'm, this is what I study. And so how, even in your, in yourself, how have you come to your quick trajectory on coming from where you did to say, man, I've got something to offer and you've written a book on love, man. That's a big, yeah. I don't, it doesn't get any deeper. I, I feel like my entire life I've been I've been just chasing the journey of being a lifelong learner. You know, I loved being in school. I loved being in elementary school, middle school, high school. I loved learning. Um, and then I think my journey as becoming a school teacher was that it was to be in an environment that was dynamic. And 30 years into the job, I, I'd be able to confidently say I hadn't seen it all. I think, you know, my approach to a lot of my work now is, yeah, I don't think anyone necessarily has to has to live in the ivory tower and, and you know and have all the the acronyms in front or behind their name um i always frame myself as the kid at the front of the class taking the best notes and who's willing to share them mm-hmm. you know because i'm a lifelong learner and i want to learn about things and i want to better understand why i have gaps and blind spots in some of these areas because oftentimes it's what we've been taught through media, religion, society, tradition, um, or even some of the own internal voices in our heads. So for me, it's, it's super important just to continue learning and to be able to create a life around it where I'm serving former versions of myself and then taking those learnings and sharing them with other people who find value in them. That puts me in the situation to keep doing it. But um, for me, it's definitely the learning and the unlearning process, which uh, allows me to feel alive and allows me to feel like my life has some level of dynamic elements to it versus me simply being on autopilot for the rest of my life. You said in the beginning of the book, and I pulled out the quote, I didn't start writing this book because I'm an expert on love, but because I'm desperate to realize love, accept love and learn how to quit messing it up. Uh, And again, I, well, 
you know, you, your name is humble, the poet, it's it, it, the humility of that, that you wrote this sharing that, yeah, you are on the journey. That's what I feel like I do here with the show. I have people on, and this is the conversation I want to have over coffee as I mm. glean from what you've learned. I don't think I've ever asked anyone this, but because you're, uh, your name is humble. I'll ask it. It's interesting that I read the book and I see the wisdom in it, the insight, and I resonated with it. How do you feel like you fall? Like I, I've seen this. So here you are, you wrote this stuff, you perceived this stuff, you were aware of this stuff. Now it's in a book. We're going to read it. I'm going to benefit from it. Thousands of other tens of thousands of people are going to benefit from it. Where do you rate yourself on? Yeah, I know and recognize that stuff, but here's where I am on actually doing it and following it. Um, that's a great question. I feel like I'm, you know, our best teachers are our mistakes. I've been making a lot of mistakes. And I think now I've entered, you know, this next phase of my life with my eyes open. But that doesn't necessarily mean I'm not making the same mistakes still. We all know what healthy food choices are and what unhealthy food choices are. And we all still make some unhealthy food choices every now and then. And I think I'm in that same capacity. So um, I think the biggest thing, the insights that I've gleaned through the research and the living to create this book actually provided me is the fact that if I do make a poor decision or I, I choose a short term over long term gratification, um, I do it with a level of awareness or I have to accept the consequences with a level of awareness that uh, I didn't previously do. So I'm not a victim of my own doing as much anymore. Yeah. So if I decide, OK, here's a person that is not good for me and I know they're not good for me from the jump. And I still pursue them because they're gorgeous. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, when that blows up in my face, uh, I don't feel sorry for myself. Like, you, well, we knew that was going to happen. It's like, you know, you know, if you, you know, eat a bunch of junk food and you got to spend the morning on the toilet after, you know, it's kind of like you saw it. causality. Causality is pretty consistent. So I think I look at it from that standpoint. So I guess the best way to look at it is I'm not feeling sorry for myself very often anymore. I appreciate that. Just the awareness. Yeah. Such as today, as we record, it's actually my birthday. Oh, happy birthday. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And Another so to lap around the sun. Yeah. Tonight I, I will, I'm going to imbibe, but at least I'm aware enough. So I know that my sleep will de be disrupted tomorrow. I'll be a little off and I'm okay with that. And, and aware, awareness is such a thread that we're going to be going through. As we talk about the book, as you wrote in the book, awareness, self-awareness, social awareness, and then that other aspect of short and long-term gains, if you want to call it. I will say, man, as I read that, especially as I got into the latter part of the books, humble, I just so aware, or in, I guess it was even confirming in a self-convicting aspect of how I have lived the majority of my life. I came into and walked out that romanticized view of love one and then with very little, with as much as I awareness and discipline and growth oriented person that I am, how blind I was to my own self-awareness, looking in the mirror, who am I, who am I emotionally and realizing, and I actually hadn't said it this way until I got to the latter part of your book and it came through and I thought, I've mainly used myself as a tool. I'm a tool for achievement. That's what Kevin is, man. I don't need to look in the mirror. I'm just going to, you know, strap on the right clothes, go after it. I'm a tool for achievement. And that's what I did until I burn out mm. uh, until I came to my end, which is why I'm, that's a big reason on why we're sitting here today and I'm pursuing yeah. this type of information. So there's my premise and why your book, man, it just, 
it just flowed so well. You got it in three parts. What is love? And then loving self and loving others. And, um, I just well done on the format. It's like writing a good song, which you do as well. And it just, mm. it flows so well and it just resonated with me. And, uh, so I'm eager to, I'm eager to break down some of the issues in it. Oh, no, thank, thank you so much. And I think, you know, as, as you said, it's, it's, you know, the subtitle is, you know, simple truths for going easier on yourself, yeah. you know, and impra- embracing imperfection. Cause we, we push ourselves so much to do so much. And I think for me, what I, what I'm realizing is, you know, my journey, is you know my my actual ten thousand hours is putting the words together it's not i'm not the source of the wisdom i'm i'm yeah. here to to break it down and, and make it digestible the same way when i was an elementary school teacher i I worked with kids and i had to figure out how to communicate an idea to you know eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds it's, it's the same thing where i'm taking topics that i selfishly want to learn more about mm-hmm. and i'll read the philosophers i'll read the studies i'll read the science i'll read the poets i'll read the religious scholars i'll read the self-help books i'll read the dating advice books so I'll do as much as I can. And then when I start to see the patterns and parallels, break that down in a way that everybody can understand. And, you know, making that clear differenti- uh the differential between simple and easy. Love is simple. Love is not easy. Um, and I think for me, it, it was definitely that journey, especially, you know, as we, you know, kind of navigate this world of, you know, what's referred to as wellness or self-help. Yeah. You know, I've I've been kind of welcomed by certain communities with open arms. And very often I see this linear approach to it, which is like, hey, I was really messed up. And then I learned a bunch of stuff. And now I'm not messed up anymore. Yeah. So, you know, for six easy payments of 1995, <laughs> you can also not be messed up. Yeah. And shoot, that was you know, the intro for this show, man. You just totally blew that out of the water. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I think what I'm realizing is just like, no, like life's a cycle. It's like, hey, I was messed up and I learned a bunch of stuff. Now I'm less messed up, but I'm still messed up. And let's be messed up together on this journey and let's learn things from each other. And our best teacher is going to be the mistakes and the dumb things that we do. And it's just about taking time to reflect that these things happen for us and not to us. And that, that was, that was the reason this book came out the way it did. Because as I said, I, you know, for anyone who, who ends up reading the first, you know, the first chapter, the first story of the book, you know, this is completely inspired by a, a failed relationship and my, desperation to not continue that pattern yeah you know this isn't me saying i figured it out and now i have a lovely wife and, and three and a half kids and i'm living happily ever after now you guys should learn from me it's it's the exact opposite it's like i keep messing this up i want to know why i keep messing this up i want to know why everybody else seems to have it figured out instead of me and then the deeper dive i went you start to realize like oh okay maybe everybody else doesn't have it figured out either and, um, you know, maybe we can approach this from a, a world of authenticity uh-huh. and maybe sometimes the best thing we can do to realize love is, is be by ourselves for an extended amount of time. Ah, I just did that for two days. I, I so I just turned I'm 52 today, married 30 years. I have wow. nine kids. Wow. I don't have it figured out. Um, mm. we're sitting here talking about it. I am, I'm, yeah. I'm deconstructing a lot and, figuring out to, yeah, you talking about cycles. I tend to think so often about spectrums, man, I'm on the spectrum and there's spectrums in spectrums. So in the mm-hmm. spectrum, so if you want to talk, man, some areas I'm, I'm doing so well in some areas I'm realizing my blindness and I don't even have a file to build something new yet, mm. but I'm working on it. And you, you know, starting off on this, 
talking about words and understanding of just saying, what is love? And, and what you got me to thinking is just, just how do we perceive love? And mm. I love words. You know, if you look up the basic definition, love is an intense feeling of deep affection. And along with that, I want to put affection slash devotion and commitment. And when somebody makes that to you to get, and I'm jumping way ahead, but when we get to that aspect of not feeling not get to, we're kind of born that way, not feeling like enough. And then somebody comes along with that magic feeling of love and they boom, we get filled up. I mean, that's how I viewed love. And, and as you mm-hmm. talk about so well in the book, that's how we depict it. That's the Disney movies. That's, that's what not. And then the pressure that puts on that person mm. is a, is a death sentence. So they buy their, their by proxy, they are going to fail and you're back. You're saying, and we're going to get to that in a minute, but you know, love has to come from ourselves in and of ourselves to begin with at least. So again, back to that, what is love? I felt like it was a great call out for us to step back and go, how, what is love? And what do you think of love being? And you do a good job of, of showcasing that man, socially we've done a pretty poor job and we're showcasing that in our poor relationships. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, going back to the, to the idea of going easy on ourselves is like, again, we've all been conditioned yeah. and socialized to believe certain things. And I think the most authentic thing that we all have kind of out the box is that thirst and desire to, to realize love. Um, even if our, you know, different cultures and societies have defined love in ways that may not be the most accurate. And especially when we live in a, in a culture of like, buy stuff be happy yeah you know it's definitely the the concept and ideas of love are going to be framed in such a way where it feels like it's a package that you can almost hand to somebody or as a transaction um and when you start to realize it's like okay well i can be in a quote-unquote loving relationship and still feel some level of void and why is that i have all the attention i have all the affection i have all the validation all the control all the power and like oh well these aren't these aren't love you know, these, these are, these are facsimiles or they're, they're as, you know, they, they, they may, you know, fill our bellies temporarily the same way going to your favorite fast food restaurant does, but they lack nutrition. Yeah. They lack the actual nutrition that are, that, that we require from, yeah. from a perspective of love. And I think being able to just differentiate what is love versus what, what we think it is or what we've been taught it is will save us endless amounts of energy because we spend so much time in pursuit of this. And I think that for me was very important because I kept thinking a lot of the things I was chasing, um, you know, was love. And I was like, well, if it actually was, I wouldn't be chasing as hard and I wouldn't feel as depleted as I do after the fact. And, um, you know, then you start to realize that love isn't something that you can chase. You know, it's something that's always there. It's something you tap into or something you realize. And, the analogy I like to use is love is the breeze. The work that we're doing is to open our sails. You know, we don't have to do anything to get the love. We just have to realize the love or, you know, make ourselves available to the love that's always been there. And, um, you know, the, the, the idea that, you know, instead of simply loving a person, looking at somebody as a place that you find love, you show me where love is. You know, and then that allows you to create a pathway of love between you and anyone and anything. A favorite flavor of ice cream, a a type of art, favorite activity, you know, establishing a pathway of love between yourself and that, um, you know, will allow you to tap into more sources of love. 
um, and make you a lot less dependent on a single source. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to take about 20,000 breaths. According to the EPA, the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to 100 times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and air doctor is just the best. Air doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. You talking about that with food, which is a primary focal point uh, of me is health and wellness. And we talk about Mm -hmm. that so much that here in America, as you and I both sit different states, but, and we're so overfed and undernourished. And to think about that with love, man, it's the thing that we pursue. It's the thing that the culture or the media is most full of is relational stuff. And we are, it seems to be ever more lonely and disconnected than ever. So the same thing, overfed and undernourished with love. And what you just talked about, I talked about as far as finding and earning, I mean, I pulled it out of your book, the quote or the, uh, the definition by Robert Holden, PhD, destination addiction Mm. Uh, and that that we look at love is something i'm going to either go find as a destination destination or i'm going to earn it as an achievement as opposed to just something that i as you talked about it's just there like the wind and i realize it's just we again i don't think we have a file for that it's like a different language you're asking us to speak german and people don't love is name a song that doesn't talk about love looking for love in all the wrong places i mean that's just what we have the tenets of relationship 
on. And so for you to say, we just got to realize it, pull that down some more, dissect that some more. Cause I, I, it feels like a different language. Yeah. I think, you know, again, like this destination of addiction has us always believing that there's like a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Yeah. You know, not realizing that the rainbow is the pot of gold. The journey is the pot of gold. What I, you know, finishing the book isn't the accomplishment. Writing the book is the accomplishment. Um, who I became through the process of creating this book is, is what actually matters. The progress, you know, there is no perfect. And I think, you know, we have this linear, you know, beginning, middle and end mindset. And that the end is somehow has us living happily ever after. But that's not how life works. Life, life works in circles. Life works in cycles. You know, we have new years, we have new seasons, we have all of these new things. And when we have this idea that love is something you have to earn, you have to trade, you have to be worthy of, you have to be enough for, you start to realize that this starts to pull us even further away from love because we start to think that we have to qualify for love. And again, we all have stories of people that we love deeply and we know all their imperfections. And none of their imperfections disqualify them from our love. And we also have, you know, you're a father of nine. Your first interaction with your children filled you with love. You know, it didn't require anything other than them existing. And the the love that, you know, you, the service that you provided for them wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a two-way street for an extremely long time. It may not be for a very long time, you know, as, you know, as my sister always says to me, look, you know, from zero to 18, your kids are going to poop on you in some capacity. And, you know, your job is to keep them alive, love them and keep them alive. And it's, it's, it's that interesting idea of, again, like it doesn't have to be transactional. You can pour all the love you want into someone else and not need it in return. Because what's happening is you're realizing love through your interactions with them. So I think viewing love as this prize, viewing it as this destination is where you know, we, we, we got it skewed. And again, I'm, I'm telling people not to go hard on themselves for, for having these beliefs because these beliefs are, are put into us. You know, these beliefs are, these beliefs make for great movies. You know, they make for great selling points. And, and again, we live in a society where, you know, people, the lights stay on because people buy stuff and there's an economy based on all of this. And for you to buy stuff, you have to feel like you're not enough without it. So, you know, we have this enoughness that we're not until we have that car or until we have those shoes or those 17 pairs of shoes or we have that that blue check mark on our Instagram or whatever it may be. And and trying to first divorce the idea that there's an enoughness when it comes to realizing love. And if anything, you don't have to add anything more to realize love. You have to take things away. You have to, you know, clean up the clutter. Yeah. You know, you unclog, unclog the sink, you know, as they say. And. I think that that idea, I think, is really important because it doesn't just apply to love. It applies to everything in life. Focus on the journey, not the destination. Focus on who you're becoming while you chase the goal instead of the goal itself. And and that's where the growth is. And I think that's a really important idea for us to understand because when we create and, and, and frame love as this destination, then we constantly remind ourselves that we're without while we're, we wait to hit that destination. And then also we over emotionalize what we're going to achieve once we hit that destination. And, and, and you can see it, you know, a, a great example would be the wedding. Yeah. You know, what other 
you know, what other milestone in life do we throw a big party to begin a journey? You know, I don't, we don't throw big parties to start high school or start college. We, we get a big celebration when we're done. Yeah. You know, we celebrate accomplishments, but, you know, we've created an industry around this where it's like, hey, me and you are going to begin our lives together. Let's start by throwing a big, lavish party and let's begin our lives together in debt, you know, and it's and and versus, hey, we we successfully stayed together for five years to throw a party, something, something to celebrate. Or, hey, we've been together for 50 years. Now let's throw a big lavish party, which makes a lot more sense than throwing a party on year zero. Yeah. Um, but again, there's, there's a culture of we got to buy stuff. We got to spend money on stuff. So let's, and, and the best way, you know, and because they got the money, they hire the smartest people to, you know, create stories and, 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 and influence culture for us to do so. But we, what we have to realize is like, look, the, the love that we're thirsting for is always there. And what we just have to do is the necessary work to realize it both within us and around us. Man, a line that you wrote in the book that hit me and you said, this means love is yeah, less of less of this destination and achievement and more a way to live. That's what jumped mm-hmm. out to me, a way to live. This wasn't even one of your bolded lines, you know, in the, in the book, but a way to live. And I, and I thought if I'm videotaped, does it look like I'm living a life of love? I may mm. be living a life of pleasure. I may mm. be living a life of, I think for me, achievement is number one. Yeah, he's, you know, he's disciplined. He achieves. Um, there's times when I think I, it might look like I'm living a life of judgment, uh, being kind of irritated and pissed off. Uh, yeah. Am I living a life of I want love? That's the thing that I want most. It's the most fulfilling thing. It's the thing that's going to give me the most purpose. If some, if I was audited, am I living a life of, and what does that look like? And honestly, the word judgment is what jumped into. Am I looking around and am I, you know, am I judging? Am I irritated? Which I often am as the, you know, type A go getter type thing, as opposed to, wait, am I stepping back? And am I, am I, am I loving? Am am I sitting in gratitude? Do I look around and notice the beauty and Mm. do, do I have respect for what's around me? Are there sacred things? Who, who am I being? So again, back to your thing, it's more a way to live. If we want love, does our lifestyle, does our attitude, our spirit, is it loving? And that's a bit, that's a big call out. It it is. I think again, we, especially, you know, in North America, heavily focus on our quality of life. Um, And we look at that as external when I personally believe we should focus on our quality of living. You know, how are we living? What what verbs are we what are we using on a regular basis? And quality of living, you know, should be irrespective of quality of life. You know, hmm. Um, hmm. your tax That's bracket good. doesn't. Yeah, your, your tax bracket doesn't require you to create a commitment to gratitude. You know, um, I've been learning a little bit more about habit stacking. So one of the habits that I have now is. Uh, always express authentic gratitude while I tie my shoelaces. So I have to tie my shoelaces regularly. Huh? When I'm in that process, instantly gratitude. That's a gratitude hmm. moment. Five seconds, 10 seconds, always gratitude. That shouldn't matter if I got 10 million in the bank or if I'm struggling to pay my bills. You know, the, the quality of living, expressing gratitude has to always be there. And I think again, love. When we start to look at love less as this prize and this thing, instead of looking at love as the noun, looking at love as the verb, love as service, love as an action, 
And like this is this again, you know, there's, there's a chapter in the book called What's in Your Wallet. And this was, you know, me learning about deriving value from what I hold in my wallet. And originally it was my identity through other people. You know, yeah. if I had a if I had a beautiful woman and then or if I had certain status or if I was known for certain things, all of that can get taken away. So I started to look at, well, what can I put in my wallet that nobody can ever take away from me and I could only forfeit? And that all became quality of living. It became my ability to tell the truth, my ability to help others, you know, my ability to love. You know, these aren't things that anybody could ever take away from me. I could only forfeit these myself. And so often we do. The most valuable things about us, we often forfeit uh, in the name of chasing things externally. So, you know, I, I'd, I'd really heavily encourage people to focus on their quality of living instead of simply their quality of life. Well, yeah, back to that lifestyle. And I love analogies. And you got me to thinking on this. If love is what I most want, do what is my capacity? What is my mm. ability to love? So I thought about a marathon. Imagine going around going, man, I wish I could find a marathon. Like I wish I could find love. And you go around walking around and boom, son of a gun, there's a marathon. And you jump in that thing. Well, if you haven't been running, you're going to die. Uh, you're not going to finish. You're going to get injured. And yet we look at that with love. Am I, as you talked about, am I, am I preparing? Am I practicing love so that I can, what, receive it even? Uh, be aware of it? Give it? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think the realizing, you know, I, I, I always say realizing love or experiencing love, you know, because I don't think it needs to be received. Um, I think the moment you give it, you experience it, yeah. you know, as I said, and, and using using the, the framework of, of you being a father, yeah. as I said, you know, you're, you're changing your, your little one's diapers. You're not really getting much in return other yeah. than the joy of the service. Um, so I think from that standpoint, it's like when we focus on what's in our control and what we're able to give. And also, you know, as I said, like th these ideas of, you know, we often say, okay, well, this isn't perfect. And somehow it not being perfect um, disqualifies us from realizing love for some purpose, but it doesn't, you know, and that's part of the subtitle as well. Embracing imperfections. The only thing we need to focus on is progress, you know, and, as you said, like you can't run a marathon the first day. You can try and you'll probably end up getting hurt. Yeah. But you know, if, if it's a 5k, you know, maybe we'll start with a quarter K and we'll, 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 you know, you do that. And then the next day or the next month, you focus on a half K and you slowly make your way up. And I think that in itself, um, that progress is something that everybody can focus on. And, you know, as we, we we're, we're in the new year now, yeah. um, it's that same idea that, you know, setting a new year's resolution is often, counter counterproductive to self-love because what you're doing is you're setting this marker like oh i need to lose 10 pounds and now you're like well i haven't lost the 10 pounds yet so now i'm not worthy of of my own adoration and love and then once i lose that 10 pounds everything's going to be great but really you're going to hit the goal if you hit the goal even though 80 percent of all new year's resolutions aren't met within the first month you can hit the goal and be like now what, what's next you know versus saying hey i'm going to set an intention and, and not, you know, setting intentions over goals or expectations is much more sustainable, much healthier and they're lifelong. You know, I want to eat healthier and I'm going to start by changing one element of my breakfast uh, this week. And then maybe I'll change another element of my breakfast and maybe I'll 
uh, move away from the coffee first thing in the morning and start with a glass of water. And then we'll try that out for a week. And then maybe I'll go away from the fried egg and try a boiled egg. And then maybe another week I'll, I'll get away from the eggs and start focusing on some, I don't know, steel cut oats. I don't want to dive into this it's beyond my expertise. I don't even know what's healthy, but I think making that incre- those incremental intentions and changes is, is a lot healthier. Uh, and the same thing in the relationship, instead of being like, this is who I need you to be. Say, Hey, I want us to be in a situation where we can work towards exclusivity we can work towards monogamy we can work towards complete open honest communication and it may not happen overnight but i want to head in that direction and i want to celebrate our progress and i think that is really important so we don't trip up and fall and it's like hey you have to crawl before you can walk before you can run and i think you know very often the most important skills that we've all learned as humans um for example, reading, you know, it was it was taught to us by other adults in a very systematic way, you know, to to be able to read, let's say to be able to read Harry Potter, you know, you probably have to be, you know, I'm going to say maybe a sixth grade reading level or something. That's that's about seven years worth of schooling to get you there. That's like, let's start with the letters of the alphabet. Let's start with the sounds of the alphabet. Let's start with the two letter words. Let's do the three letter words. And they slowly incrementally get you where you can read a, you know, a junior novel. Um, and then you keep going until you can get to the university textbooks. But then as adults, when we're going to start something new, we're like, Oh, I suck at it. I'm not going to bother. Right. You know, is it, this wasn't perfect the first time I tried it. And it's like, yeah, you're not perfect at it or you're not even good at it yet. And again, that doesn't disqualify you from going on this journey. It's the journey is all that matters. There isn't a destination for this. You know, you're, you know, you have a, a, a very successful podcast. It, it didn't happen episode one. It happened incrementally, slowly over time. And I'm sure there were peaks and valleys on that journey. And I think going in with that awareness of like, you know, oftentimes my successes and failures all literally depend on how I frame it. Yeah. If I said I wanted to, you know, avoid soda and, uh, this, and, 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 and this, and then today I had a, a can of Coke and I, if I framed the day, then the day was a failure. But if I framed the week and I had a can of Coke one out of seven days, that's not too bad. And if I framed the month, I had it one out of 30 days. That's not too bad. If I frame it out of the, you know, and I think the, those frames matter as well. Um, our perception of how we look at things and, that goes back to the idea of judgment. The the challenge with being so judgmental and us growing up with so many judgmental individuals who raised us um, is that it closes us off. It gives us this kind of tunnel vision of what we should be looking at. Whereas if we focus on being curious, you know, we have a much wider view of what's happening and we can start to seek out beauty and positivity and optimism in any situation. Well, you speaking on judgment, I, I so want to get off the soap, not the soapbox, but off the rail of, you know, dissing our current culture. Uh, it doesn't help anything. And yet because of social media, because of this wonderful thing that we have that you and I are talking through right now, the internet, which I'm, I'm hugely grateful for. And it allows us to communicate more prolifically than ever. And we mm-hmm. have a culture, we have social media I don't know what the stats are on how much of it is judgmental content, but it's dramatic. And that, that 
washes over us that permeates everything kind of like uh, uh you know fertilizers you just they're in everything at this point there's nothing mm-hmm. in america at least that doesn't have fertilizer in it somewhere we we have judgment that's washed over and it feels like and getting to the second part of your book on where do we start with love it's not going out and looking for it it's not searching for it. it's not achieving it. it it's it's realizing it and the first person we got to realize that with is us Again, we do not have a language with that. I grew up in America and I was not, wasn't taught that that is an actual focal point. That's the first achievement. Can I achieve that? Can Mm -hmm. I, can I realize that? And I tend to be, I tend to be, and it feels like culturally, we are the most judgmental day one with ourselves. And how can I have grace, compassion, love for someone else if I don't have it there? I mean, this is not new stuff. And yet we seem to be failing with it kind of it's kind of like health and wellness back to that we know more than ever we have access to anything we want and we're sicker and sadder than we've ever been yeah. and here we are so love for self being such a pithy overstated thing so much and, and we're but we're not doing it well it's is there any greater focal point at this point yeah i don't think there is and, and i think it's also you know and, and, I, and I do appreciate the sentiment of like not just you know, criticizing modern society. I think the way I always like looking at it is like, you know, there's, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer and there's this, there's a writing book called, you know, three uses of the knife. And it's like, you know, you can use the, you know, use the knife to cut somebody a sandwich. You can use the knife to, you know, free a prisoner. You can use the knife to stab somebody in the back. And I kind of look at, you know, I, I like the, 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 the analogy I like using for social media specifically is a hammer. Like, you know, you can build a house with it or bash a skull. And I think the awareness of knowing what it is, uh, I think is extremely important. And the fact that, you know, it is, it it is preying on some of our more primitive, you know, designs. And, um, often that is, is really pulling on our emotional heartstrings. And the thing is good news is often gradual. So, you know, good news is really hard to elicit positive, uh, positive emotions, um, through creating, you know, through exposing people to good news, because good news takes time. Like, hey, everybody, I finally hit my milestone of 100,000 followers, or I lost 25 pounds, or, you know, we, you know, we, we went into remission or what have you. Um, whereas like, hey, everybody, I broke my leg. You know, hey, everybody, so-and-so said, I isolated one comment that so-and-so said that, you know, offends my specific community that I identify with. And all of this, you know, especially when we, as humans, for so long in small environments and small communities, uh, understood our value in relation to other people, that's really become exploited to the fact that, you know, we, we've become extremely validation hungry. Yeah. And, you know, now there's metrics to the validation. So it's like, how many downloads did this episode get? How many comments did that post get? How many likes did that picture get? And now there's an exact metric. And then that can, if we're not approaching it with awareness, will subconsciously guide us in a certain different direction. And I think it's just something to be mindful of, um, especially when this chase for validation is going to, you know, shrink pathways to, to love that's going to close those sales and and the breeze is just going to pass us on by um so i think for me it's, it's less of a, of a of a of a critique of what modern society is and more of a you know painting painting a picture for more context to realize well here are the things that are actually helping and here are the things that are actually hurting the same way i'm you know looking at different elements of my diet and be like oh well 
Okay, that right. may be good first thing in the morning, but that's definitely not something I should be drinking or eating at 10 p.m. Or, hey, that's something good in moderation. Um, or that's something that needs to happen every single day. And I think understanding elements of our society and realizing that, hey, like our us as a collective have kind of um, ag- agreed to create, you know, a, a, a population of densely populated cities that require everyone to participate in an economy. And one of the biggest ways we get people to participate in an economy is to tell them stories about who they'll be if they purchase more things. Right. And oftentimes those stories are emotionally charged and they leave us feeling like we are in lack until we participate and make this certain purchase. And I think that's a really important idea to explore because there are communities in the world that don't participate in that type of living and uh, they seem dramatically better off. There seems to be I think there is such a tension in that, can I be whole in and of myself? And yet, as you also state, you know, we're built for relationship. We are built to, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be whole. I don't want to wake up tomorrow morning. and There's nobody on the planet. What on mm. earth would I live for? Yeah. Uh, there's no purpose. There's no meaning, whatnot. And so I got to hold that, that I, I want to be desperately in relationship. I want to have love. And yet I also need to be complete to a degree, wrestle with that with me in and of myself. And you say, one of the quotes I pulled out, the inconvenient truth is that no one can give us any more love than we can give ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a big statement. It's worth folks rewinding uh, and listen to that. But to be able to hold that, I keep using that same reference, but I just feel it's relevant. It's like another language. We don't really have a file for that. As a counselor told me one time that I can't, no one can give me, I can't go out there and find from a person, from you, from my wife, from my kid, from my friend, what I can't find something from them more than what I can give myself. And when I do, that's the recipe again for failure. And so here we are. How do we hold that of, I've got to be whole. I'm made for relationship, but I got to be whole in and of myself. Yeah. And again, this goes back to these ideas of enoughness. And it's yeah. like, well, how, how are these measurements? Like, how did this become measurements of a human? How You can't measure a human as enough or not enough or even whole. I'm a whole person versus not a whole person. It's like, you know, we. we I think both from a spiritual and a, and a scientific perspective, perspective we kind of understand everything it starts with this starts with the brain you know i can cut off your fingers i can cut off your toes i can cut off your ear you're still you yeah you know and and none of these even disqualify you from being a whole person you know and missing an appendage here or there um and i think what we have you know we're, we're also biological creatures that have you know needs and wants and desires that mother nature kind of uses to get us to do her bidding which is, it seems at this point, eating, sleeping and procreating, you know, and then everything else beyond that is kind of how we deviated from the script and and, and created something much bigger than the ecosystem that we're a part of with all of the living things. And, and you can see that because whenever you want to do something that isn't eating, sleeping or procreating, you you get resistance. You're like, Oh, I'm going to go for a run today. And the mother nature is like, no, you're not. This is not why you're here. You're here to eat, sleep and procreate. And then when you hit a certain age, 
in, in your past the level of procreating, it almost kind of seems like you've, you've been tossed to the side and the knees start to hurt, you know, the eyesight starts to go, you know, and there's, there's a really, you know, we're, we're part of a system that is, uh, far from perfect, but extremely predictable. And I think, again, this idea of wholeness, I, I receive, I feel whole with you. And I think what that goes back to is especially this, you know, in our childhood, it's when we're, when we don't have fully developed brains, us, you know, trying to process being raised by imperfect people. Everybody was raised by imperfect people, but we internalize everything we experience from them. If you're 12 years old, your brain can only think in black and white. You can't, you can't process all the complexities of what happens in between and easily, you know, you're a, a family member could be having a bad day and they take it out on you and, and you absorb all of that. Like it's your fault. And then you start to blame yourself and, and you don't upgrade that, that, that software, even, even as an adult and whatever coping mechanisms you do. So then we kind of become people pleasers yeah. or fawners and, and, and we make adjustments to our authentic self to try to keep everybody else happy. And oftentimes it's not even keeping them happy. It's just keeping them from being, it's keeping us from feeling their wrath. I was going to say it's appeasing. Yeah. It's appeasing. Yeah. And it's, and it's a challenge because we have this. And then when we, f the feelings of, you know, kind of euphoria we get when we feel seen by somebody, when we feel validated by somebody, I think that is this illusion of wholeness that we think that, oh, I was missing this. I never had this before. And now I have it. But it's like, yeah, you know, shoot some heroin. You're going to start feeling some stuff you've never felt before. That doesn't, that's not giving you a wholeness that is giving you some short term gratification. And again, this stuff is short term because if you had it, you know, if you got it once, you wouldn't need it again if it was if it was long term and healthy. And I think from that standpoint, going back to how we frame these things and as well, as I said, like we. The healthiest relationships aren't going to make it on the TV and movie screen because they're, they're not going to be eventful. You know, we're going we're going to be constantly exposed to unhealthy cat and mouse type relationships, tug war relationships because they make for excellent watching they're they're car crashes that, that we're going to be rubbernecking and i think it's important to recognize that so we we can't want the ross and rachel's or the bobby and whitney's or whatever new you know bad relationship people look up to it's you know we require you know we should be chasing peace you know instead of chasing wholeness let's chase peace and when we think about how we feel around people let's ask how often we feel at peace but also is that feeling at peace are they are they quelling our anxiety or our you know our attachment issues and we just feel good around them and how often is that the case yeah or are they just creating a new addiction that we 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 don't feel at peace when we're not around them and they they bring us back to zero when when we have them and again the 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 overarching idea here is just going to be awareness and paying attention to how we feel in certain situations. And all of that can be accomplished by ourselves because spending time alone, you know, when you're, when you're by yourself, the feelings can go in two different directions. You can either feel the reward of solitude or you can feel the punishment of loneliness, but neither of those change the fact that you're alone. Yeah. And us re, visiting and reevaluating our relationship with ourselves is where it starts um 
Naval Ravikant, who I, I quoted in the book for his definition of love, you know, he also said something I thought was extremely poignant. Um, he said, you know, if your favorite time of life is when you're absolutely by yourself, he goes, then you win. He goes, you'll win at life. Just when your favorite part of the day is, you know, and, and he's a married man with children. He goes, I love my family, love my kids. But my absolute favorite time is doing absolutely nothing with myself. And as I said, I, you know, without it being a commentary on modern society, oftentimes people think being in front of their phone counts as alone time. Yeah. You know, and, and the dopamine that they get from that. And it's like, no, it's sit by yourself and do absolutely nothing. I'm not even saying meditate and focus on your, I'm just sit there, do nothing. Watch the anxiety raise immediately yeah. because we're not being stimulated and see how often your choices are just to make that anxiety to quell that anxiety you know we're not even chasing pleasure to feel good we're chasing pleasure to not feel bad yeah and i think if we re- re-regulate our, our our dopamine levels and the things that give us dopamine i have a friend who just got out of a physically abusive relationship and her levels of awareness now that she's out of it are, are becoming more and more clear and she's like i didn't love him i was just he was just my only source of dopamine hmm. you know and, and i got all my dopamine from him and when I wasn't around him, I'd put on a baseball cap and wear, wear sweats and I stopped talking to my friends and I stopped talking to other people and I lived in a hole until, and if he didn't reply to my messages, I got deep in depression. And then when I heard from him, I felt great. And now she's able to look at that from the outside, but it just, it goes back to this dopamine and serotonin and getting a quick fix. And I think now the, the beauty of this is that we can all relate to that because the vast majority of our population are addicted to their phones. And it's that same relationship where it's like you're scrolling through the vast majority of the stuff does not make you feel good. But then, you know, there's an unintended reward when you finally see a cute video of puppies or a feel good video of somebody helping a homeless person. And you're like, Oh, it was all worth it. It was that whole hour worth of scrolling. It was worth it for that five second video that made me feel really nice. And that's what, that's why people gamble. And they yeah. keep pulling on the lever for the for the, for the slot machine, or why people remain in unhealthy relationships. Because when it's bad, when it's bad, but when it's good, it's a, it feels euphoric and it's not anticipated. And um, getting ourselves out of this cycle of chasing unintended rewards that give us these temporary highs, because we're just going to spend the rest of our lives chasing them. You say in the book, right along this line, al- alone. Uh, it's not because you're by yourself, but because you don't enjoy your own company. Mm-hmm. I, again, it's a different, it's a different language. And, you know, even you're talking about the phone, I have gotten into the habit over, over the years of getaways by myself, but there was another level even it, cause I would initially go on those getaways. And for me, that's going off into the mountains and, you know, having adventures and doing some of the things that I love. And most of the time I'm sitting there taking pictures or videos and sending them back to my family and I'm texting and going back and forth. So I had to go, I had to go to the next level and I just did this. I literally just did this two days ago. I was gone for 48 hours. I did some stuff and my practice was not don't share, just put the phone on silent mode or what is it? Do not disturb and sit there and do my mountain bike ride out at a remote lake and sit down afterwards with a hard cider and the sunset. I did take a picture, but I didn't share it. 
It was just for mm-hmm. me. Can I, can I, mm-hmm. can I rewire myself to get that dopamine and just to have the fulfillment and the gratitude if nobody else knows. And it's, it surprises me how natural it is to want to share that, which is, again, that's great. I mean, you know that, huh? I mean, it's, of course we want to share things with somebody. I don't want to, again, I don't want to wake up tomorrow and then live the next year alone with no connection to somebody. And yet this practice over here of, can I enjoy my own company? Can I be at peace? As you said, at peace. And and maybe the word whole is not a good one as opposed mm-hmm. can I be fulfilled? Can I have a, 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 a moment of glorious fulfillment just by myself? If I can't, how much more so am I going to now be able to go into relationship with somebody else and share that fulfillment, share that peace, pour out something that I have within me as opposed to grasping and taking from them, which again, I think that's how I lived most of my life. Like I said, of course, the, the other part of that is not only did I use myself as a tool, if that's how I'm using myself, if that's how I'm viewing myself, that's kind of what I tended to do with other people. There's tools mm-hmm. for achievement. So again, we're back to this. Is, is that, does that ring true? The fulfillment word that is better than that whole word to be at peace, to find fulfillment in and of yourself? Yeah, I, I want to challenge the f- fulfillment oh, word too, dude, because dude. it all... It, because it also, it, it kind of, you know, like the word full kind of, you know, yeah. it, it indicates like it's the opposite of lack. Like, it's, you know, you okay. either you're full or you're not. And I think, I think the better way to look at it, you know, so for example, you know, we, we all know you turned 52 today. So you had a pre-internet childhood. Yes. You know, and you were able to do all these activities before the option of, or, and the culture of take a picture and share it was, you know, I remember I learned about Instagram because one of my favorite rappers got on it very early and he posted this picture of him himself in Dubai. And it was the first time I saw a picture like with a filter, hmm. you know, and I was like, oh, that's that's a really nice picture. How do you do that? You know, and I just remember him just being like in Dubai. And I was just like, you know, he was he, I guess he was one of the early guys on there. But there was a time before all of this, and and one of my closest friends, he's my oldest friend, I've known him since we were four years old, he went through a dark period um, in the past maybe 10, 12 years, um, uh, addicted to substances, addicted addicted to alcohol, uh, addicted to porn, addicted to a lot of different things. Um, he was he, He's living, he lives in Germany. And um, because he was in this dark period, you know, probably, I want to say, 10 years ago um he never upgraded his phone so he had a flip phone he never upgraded his phone and then he got sober he's been sober now i think i think this i think this month will be his seventh year sober from alcohol and maybe his eighth year sober or fifth year sober from porn um he never got on to the smartphone culture he just because of where he was in life and then even though he got sober i think he bought an ipad to watch sports he, he, he he's from he's from toronto like me so i think to catch up on sports he bought an ipad but he never got on instagram he never got on facebook he never got on any of those things um and he's the most at peace individual i know hmm. his uh you know a lot of things he didn't upgrade in his life he never bought a car he takes the bus everywhere hanging out with him reminds me of our high school days hmm. you know he, he i went to go see him in berlin he picked me up from the airport his definition of picking me up from the airport was taking the bus to the airport <laughs> And meeting me there and then helping me get my suitcase on the bus yeah. while we went back to his place. But I realized very quickly just through observing him, 
that nothing he does is for display purposes. There isn't an external validation in any of his daily choices. And he, he spends, you know, he spends a month out of the year, uh, traveling to different parts of Europe and working on farms, migrant farms, because he's, he's developed an obsession with seeds and, 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 and uh, um, the science of, of farming. And, but he's not doing it to take a picture and show anybody. There aren't any pictures. He's, he's never, he never got into the culture. So it's not like he rejected it and he, and he lives off this discipline. He just never got introduced to it. And I showed him my phone and I've showed him Instagram and I can see his eyes get wide. It's like giving a kid who's never had a potato chip a potato chip. Sure, sure. You know, he's not, he's not immune to it. He just never doesn't have any in his kitchen. And, um, so, you know, and, and the reason I bring him up is because the word that I see with him specifically, uh, is peace. It's not fulfillment. It's peace. Um, his relationship with substances changed. He never viewed them as, as vices. Um, he, he grew up without his father, reconnected with his father much later in life and learned about his family history and, and, and the cycle of substance abuse. So he views substances as allergies. So he views alcohol as an allergy. So he stays away from alcohol, not through discipline, but as an allergy. Um, and I think porn was probably the most super normal stuff that he had exposure to. And, and I, I guess he put it up there as well. And, and he's gotten off that. So he's not exposing himself to all this super normal, uh, hyper colors and all of these things that, you know, we're not biologically really designed to do. And because of that, he, he maintains this level of kind of like his, his levels are even and it's not sharp spikes up and down so i think instead of fulfillment i I like this word peace uh because peace doesn't require anything you don't have to acquire anything for peace you have to let go of things you know he achieves his peace through letting go of stuff he didn't have to check off boxes he had to kind of delete things off the list Hmm. and um and the reason I, I bring him up and, and take it back to, to, you know, for example, your child, even mine, my childhood, I, I grew up in the 80s and, and the 90s pre-internet. Um, we knew how to do it. Yeah. You know, we knew how to have fun. We knew how to be places. We knew how to communicate. We knew how to make plans. We knew how to find our friends. We knew how to do all of these things without these modern conveniences. And... um you know, we, you know, whether we can go back or not is, is, is a whole other conversation. But I think what it often is, is, is recognizing that there's going to be, you know, to go from a bad place to a better place, uh, the journey has to be through a worse place. And I think, you know, as we go out to the country, sit by the lake, you know, there's going to be a dopamine withdrawal. And there's going to be a little bit of anxiety and we're going to naturally pick up the phone and start taking pictures or doing whatever we had to do. But I think if we do it long enough, you know, we, you know, I think the, I think the rewiring and I think I, I watch it, especially specifically around, you know, uh, social media, I, I think it's, it's, it's in the weeks. It might even be up to four months before that, you know, the rewiring for, for, for dopamine receptors actually happens. Um, but don't quote me on the science, but it, you know, it's not a couple of days. And one of my favorite rappers, Jay Cole, um, went two years without social media and be- in between his releases, he doesn't go on social media. And he said after two years, he thought he was going to go back. So he was going back to start promoting his next project. He thought he was going to go back with this new level of awareness, this new level of everything. He was within three days. It was as if he never left. Hmm. You know, it was just an old friend and everything felt normal again. His habits were all the same. He was, he caught himself mindlessly scrolling and he goes, the two years did nothing. And I think again, on this, on this, 
spirit of being easier on yourself. Like these are companies that make ungodly amounts of money and they use those ungodly amounts of money to hire the smartest people who dedicate all their time and focus to figuring out how to keep you on. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a, it's not a battle that self-discipline alone is going to get us over. But I do think framing it as peace versus fulfillment um, is probably a better way to look at it because now we're not looking at it from, I, I lack anything because you can't buy peace. You can't get peace. You can only clear away the clutter and what's left is peace. You know, um, and going back to the Naval Ravikant definition of love that I have in the book is, you know, love is what remains when all, all other emotions cease to exist. And I think that having love as the default and, and, and focusing on clearing the clutter versus acquiring some new thing, acquiring a new partner, acquiring a level of Zen through yeah. meditation, acquiring. Yeah. It's not about getting. And again, as I said, we live in a society of buy stuff, be happy, get, 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 get. It's looking at it the other way. And again, I'm, I'm from, I grew up in Eastern philosophy, Eastern philosophy, Western philosophy, you, you know, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, they're all top down. The rules came from above. Let's bring them down to where we're at. I'm from Eastern philosophy where it's everything is within and let's use that to raise ourselves up. And, um, that's, that's, I think what makes a different language is realize that you've always had it. It's always been within you. All this stuff on the outside is just bl- is blocking the past. Is, is blocking the pathways and uh, less is more when it comes to that capacity. And it's not so much about acquiring new skills and tools as it is, is letting go of old habits, yeah. beliefs uh, and, and limiting lifestyles um, that reduce our ability to kind of realize that love that's always been there. You talking about addiction. Yeah. The cultural one we have now to back to your friend, to yeah. the display, to the validation and one of your other lines and your book is, is maybe one of the most quotable books I've read. And I've read a lot. Uh, you do such a great job of pulling out these sound bites. It makes sense that you are, uh, uh, you know, you're an artist and, uh, of the spoken word, you say approval from others will never be as nutritious as our approval of ourselves. Okay, that, that's a line there. I'm going to keep going. But that right there, approval from others will never be as nutritious as our approval of ourselves. Again, that is a different language. I want everybody to hear that and to realize that that's going to be hard to resonate because we don't speak that language. Well, we know is finding that external validation. And uh, so, but you go on to say that's why self-respect is more important than self-esteem. I'm going to let you unpack that because that's, uh, I don't want to get lost in, in the words. We talk about self image a lot, but self respect. Now you're taking that and you're separating it. Say self respect is more important than self esteem. What do you mean by that? So self respect is how you feel about yourself. You know, self esteem is the value you gain from how other people feel about you. And as I said, we we're in a culture where our self esteem has become there's a numerical value to it. How many followers we have, how many comments we get, how many likes we get. Um, And the more self-esteem we chase, you know, the less self-respect we'll have. You know, I'm not the most, I'm not the biggest fan of of, of looking at things in terms of duality and and binary. Um, But it seems like this is that relationship where it's almost like you pick one on the scales, either you feed the self-respect or you feed the self-esteem. 
and self-respect is how you view yourself. And, and and we all know, we've seen it externally, people who it seems like the whole world loves them. They have everything they would ever want, right. but they still seem to be missing something on the inside. And that what they're missing is that self-respect. Um, so what I realize is, and, and you know, in, in that chapter you're quoting is, 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 it's me confessing my addiction to approval yeah. and how much I uh, have realized that I'm addicted to everybody else's approval and um, how dangerous compliments have become to me. I'm realizing that compliments are way more dangerous to me than, than, than criticisms um, because they put me in a cage. You know, most recently, um, I want to say about a year and a half ago, you know, a friend, I'm at a Hollywood party with a lot of, prominent celebrities and a friend introduces me to somebody I looked up to and said, Hey, this is my friend humble. Um, he's figured out life. Nothing ever bothers him. <laughs> and that's how I was introduced. And I'm assuming good, the person that yeah, good luck was, living up to that one. Good luck living up to that. But then you try and then yeah. you tell yourself, well, well, they said nothing bothers me. So now nothing can bother me. So now like my mantra has to be like, Oh, no worries. No worries. No worries. But it's like, that's that. How could I be an artist and not have sensitivities? You know, I just, you know, peeled off so many layers and fortresses and protective elements to myself to write this book. I am the exact opposite. Everything is getting to me. A beautiful sunny day is getting to me. You know, somebody who makes a plan and breaks that plan when he gets to me. But now that I was, I've been framed by the cool kids as someone that nothing bothers him. I'm going to create this prison and act like it until I snap. Which is exactly what happened at, you know, and that started my journey uh, into therapy where it was like, oh, wait, no, I am a sensitive human being and starting to realize that it was also a protective me- mechanism for vulnerability yeah. where it's like, oh, I don't, I didn't, I, you know, I was raised in a household where vulnerability was seen as weakness. So don't show any vulnerability. Um, but what that does is it, that doesn't allow me to have any authentic connections with people. And um, then, you know, creating a reputation which just serves as a prison. And now I'm both the prisoner and a prison guard. And and this was something that I, you know, would do because the validation I got from people thinking I'm the coolest kid, you know, in the room just because I was the one guy who wasn't bothered by a mean comment on, on, the, on, on the internet or something, not realizing that, no, I should be impacted by everything because I'm an artist. I should be absorbing everything and feeling everything, but doing it in a safe space. So I think... What I started to realize was, okay, my external validation is o- is always going to be a thing until I start focusing on internal validation and, and asking myself, well, how do I build my self-respect and, yeah. you know, keep, you know, another chapter in the book from, you know, a quote from my, 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 my buddy Steve Weatherford, which was, you know, honor your commitments, not your feelings, you know, and, uh, you know, that's, you say you're going to do something, do it because you said you're going to do it. You know, because very often, especially, you know, Los Angeles culture is everybody gets their dopamine shot from saying we should meet up. And then when it's time to meet up, everybody cancels because they realize traffic and distance and all that type of stuff. And it's like, no, you said you're going to do something. Do it because you said you're going to do it. And that's how you maintain self-respect, you know, voluntarily making difficult decisions and and, and going into that Um, and, and doing so, you know, I think is extremely important. And, you know, there's. You know, from a pop culture reference, there's a television show on HBO called White Lotus. And, and, you know, there's a character, a young boy who is given every modern convenience. He's just a young boy addicted to his phone, addicted to all his devices, you know, access to, 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 to all the different salty potato chips in life. And he feels hollow. 
and then he sees a group of guys canoeing you know canoeing in the ocean and he joins them Hmm. and the bonding process the exercise everything that comes from that he becomes addicted to that and then he puts the phone away and he builds an authentic connection and i think you know this kind of voluntary step into things that are hard um is a great way to build the self-respect understanding that we live in a culture that is further trying to make everything more convenient for us yeah and uh you know that is impacting our resilience and and as our resilience goes down we become more susceptible when 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 life throws curveballs at us and the last two years have shown that you know we're better off practicing our resilience while things are good because you know a a, a bad day year <laughs> Or two years, it could just be around the corner, you know, depending on what's happening in the world. A a line that you wrote also on the same thread, Humble, is, and I and I had to I had to do a double take because I started to I started to contradict you, and then I wait, 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 no, no, he wrote it right. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. This is what you wrote. It doesn't matter what others think about me if I don't like myself. Okay, I I took that though on the polarization. It doesn't matter what other people think about me. I just have to like myself. And then I'm thinking about the ignorant person that I am sometimes and the ignorant person that we see sometimes we think, dude, the guy needs to know what other people think about him because he's an ass and and he doesn't know. Uh, But you said, that's not what you said. You said, it doesn't matter what others think about me if I don't like myself. Other people's testimony, I mean, it does matter. I do need people in my life testifying to me, seeing my blind spots. And of course I love validation, but as you said, I need the criticism as well. But you, so you didn't discount that, but you said, if I don't like myself, and now we're back to just what you said, that consummate analogy of somebody who seemingly has all the attention, all the validation, they've got 40 million followers. Humble only has a million. Uh, you know, they've only got 40, but if they don't like themselves and that's what we see the tabloid stories of and it's the next divorce or big downfall or suicide i mean how often do we see it should be so obvious to us but we just don't conceive of that and so to look at that and go my efforts to seek the validation to get the points to get the followers to get the accolades of the affirmations which i which i kevin miller has spent the majority of my life as that as my primary pursuit and yet it doesn't matter. And I'm realizing that now at, I, I'm so glad that I have come aware of that. Uh, it would be great if it had taken a little shorter time, but Hey, at least I, I got there. If I don't like myself and we're back to that. And that's why you put it as primary. What is love? Yeah. How do I love myself? And all that was then before the place that we put as the first point, of contact for most of us is loving others. That's the third part of your book is lo- is loving others then. And I'm back to thinking about the consummate classic in the self-help world of how to win friends and influence people. I mean, yeah. to some degree, after I've done that, do I understand what love is? Do I love myself? Let's say I've gotten there. Now, what do I do? Well, again, we're back to that marathon thing, aren't we? That if I'm not practicing, do I know how to love others? Well, we're not taught mm. that. Maybe we had a good example Often we didn't have a good example or good examples in our lives. Do I know how to do that? We're not going to go out and and start a sport or a, a career profession without a dramatic amount of training. 
And yet we jump into this feeling of love and we don't train. So after we've achieved those kind of first rungs sequentially, at least, would that not be some of our greatest focal point is now how do I learn to connect with and love others? Yeah, I, I think, you know, addressing that even connects back to that, that first point about, you know, I, I, um, if I don't like myself. I, I think one of the, the the big ideas, and and I got this from Stephen Pressfield's book, The War of Art. Yeah. Um. You know, the journey of the artist. It's it's we as humans, you know, in our software, require other people to understand ourselves. We understand ourselves in relation. You know, you have nine kids, which means, you know, let's say child number three walks into the room, they they are naturally uh, aligning themselves within the hierarchy. Of who right. is their older sibling? Who is their younger right. sibling? Who has authority over them? Who do they have authority over? And that's important. And we as humans have always had that. The challenge is, you know, for tens of thousands of years, we've never been in such large communities. You know, your, your kids can do it in a house of 10, 15, 20. Uh, I think Stephen Pressfield says he thinks the number's 200. He thinks anybody can understand themselves in relation to a room full of 200 people, um, especially if it's a village or a community. Um, but how do you do that in New York City? How do you do that in Los Angeles? Who's the top dog? Can there even be a hierarchy at that point? So understanding ourselves in relation to other people is really messing with our software because these societies are way bigger than what we're normally used to. Mm. Um, so it's, it's important because when we chase external validation now, especially with social media, like the average human being was never exposed to the opinions of even a thousand people, yeah. let alone the opinions of 10,000, 100,000, a million people. So that's definitely going to mess with our wiring. So it's even more important for us to have, to to be more grounded in how we care for ourselves. And it's the same thing when it comes to these relationships. As I said, like it's, you know, we are one to 200 years, you know, in these larger societies. And, you know, but we're still trying to create relationships that were based off templates that have existed much longer. And again, those templates existed in much smaller communities uh, under much dramatically different circumstances. Yeah. You know, you live in a small village of 200 people, 100 people, and you're married, but, you know, your your partner isn't your exclusive partner for every single thing in life. You probably go out to work with other people. You probably go be social with other people. But now we live in a society where it's like, it's you and your partner until you have kids in your little shelf, in your little apartment, on your little building, row by row in a, in a major, you know, metropolitan city, which is how a lot of people live and more and more people are living every single day around yeah. the world. And that is not how we've been doing it for the last, I don't know, 30, 40,000 years of civilized human society. And that adjustment is going to be very difficult and challenging. And, you know, I do make references to, you know, grandma and grandpa's, the romanticism that we have of grandma and grandpa's relationship. But, you know, they saw each other for three hours a day. You know, we're, we're in situations where you're constantly updating your partner about what's happening. You're constantly exposed to the illusion of other options. You know, we're constantly exposed to, to all of these other different things, which leaves us depleted when we're not, um, you know, when, when we're not completely energized. And also, as you said, even if we had great role models growing up, you know, we were observing them and absorbing them 
with limited brain capacity. You know, the brain's developing until we're 26. So imagine being eight, nine years old, even having, let's say, the most, you know, both intellectually and emotionally intelligent parents on earth trying to understand why they were successful at that age, you know, is, is going to be next to impossible. We don't know what they're doing behind closed doors. We don't know the meetings they're having. We don't know the communication they're doing. Maybe they're in couples therapy. We have no idea what's happening in that capacity. And I think that's a really important thing to really acknowledge as well, is that even when things are good, we don't know why they're good. If we're, if we're absorbing that and understanding that from a perspective of a child, then making decisions and then creating habits that we just carry on into adulthood. So our, you know, th- that's why using the relationship with ourselves as the primer to, to influence relationship with other people. And, and that's why relationship with others is, is the last section and in, in, in one of the yeah. smaller sections of the book, because it's once you have that healthier relationship with yourself, you're able to establish boundaries. You understand the importance of communication. Yeah. All of these will have a wonderful and positive impact on your ability to to coexist with other people. And again, I don't simply say love for others romantically. I talk about right. family relationships, whether it's siblings, whether it's grandparents. I talk about work relationships. I talk about friendships um, because to me, they're all the same. You know, they're all opportunities to create another pathway of love between you and somebody else. Um, and the intensity might be debatable, but I think it's still extremely important to understand that we have an opportunity to open a pathway of love between us and everybody else. Um, but it's work. And, and that's where one of the quotes in the book is love is the fuel, not the glue. Love isn't what keeps us together. Love is what fuels us to keep working at it. Yeah. Keep things together. And, you know, especially those days that we don't feel like working at it, but it takes work. It's not simply, I love you, you love me, we'll be together forever. It's no, it's endless, it's endless amounts of work. And I'm sure um, with the tribe that you have, you know, splitting your time, energy, focus and attention amongst everybody, you know, can't be easy. And it's going to require a lot of work, planning and communication and getting everybody on the same page. Uh, and then it could probably, I'm assuming it's, it's, a, it's a, the most beautiful thing in the world. It is. I want to land here on what you just said a second ago on the pathway, because mm-hmm. I, I grappled with that a little bit when I first read that people are pathways to love and doors to love. And I thought, okay, it kind of sounds woo woo. I, I couldn't, I couldn't bring that home. And yet, as I thought about it, I wish I had a better, more intelligent and, and, uh, spiritual analogy. Uh, so my mountain bike. All right. So I just got, I, 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 I was a pro cyclist. I've ridden bikes forever. That's where I experience that in running trail running, mm-hmm. but that's where I experience flow back, you know, to mm-hmm. Stephen Kotler, who we've had on the show, man, that's where I've got a level of mastery. I can, I can go along at a rate. And, and so the, I'm going to, pair this with thinking about the person, the object of our love of, I could look at that and go, man, I I've been, I've been made fun of, you know, in in a nice way of like, who's Kevin's, you know, main love. It's his bike. It's not, it's not the bike. It's what it allows me to do. So this is what I'm thinking as I'm reading, as I'm, as I'm grappling with your quote on people are pathways to love doors, love that bike. It gets me outdoors. I love the speed. I love the feeling of agility and ability and, chaos under control, uh, that flow state. 
virility. I even, you know, have the aspect of, uh, of this last week. And I thought, man, this, I get off on this, man. This is this just dramatically enjoyable vitality, all these things. Well, I can get those in other ways. Other people get those, uh, you know, from skiing from which I do some, but it's, I don't get it there. I'm a hack skier. Um, they get it from, you know, uh, rock climbing or, or yoga or art or music or whatever it is. They're just, again, kind of the, the tool analogy there. Okay, so play with that because it sounds bad because you're not minimizing the person. If you have this person who you adore and you have come together in a, let's say, a romantic relationship, a marriage, whatever. Now, we're not minimizing them at all and just saying, well, they can just mm-hmm. be replaced. They're just a tool for something. I'm not doing that. But to me, back to that pressure that we talked about earlier, what pressure does it take off of my wife, of my kid, of my friend when I say, man, they are not the end all to what I experience in them. They are, as you say, a pathway, a door to love. How am I tracking? Yeah, no, I think that's beautiful. I think, uh, you know, that, that, you know, that's when I was writing this book, you know, and you, you tell people, you're like, oh, you're working on a book. What are you working on? Love. And then, you know, they were like, you're, well, you're writing about love. And like, well, what's your idea? And I was like, well, my controversial idea is, you know, the, the love you experience, you know, with your spouse is no different than the love you experience from your favorite flavor of ice cream. And I would say that. And they were like, what? How, you know, how that, dare you? you? Yeah. Yeah. You've already lost me. You've yeah. minimized, you've minimized my spouse to, to a flavor of ice. And I'm like, no, you know, and I'm like, the idea is pathways and the idea is, and again, it's a, it's a Peter Crone idea and it's, it's, it's not, I love you. It's you show me where love is. And it's also, and it also works the uh-huh. other way for people that we dislike. Um, you know, it's you show me where my fears are. You know, I don't hate you. You just show me where my fears are. And what this is, is creating these pathways is, you know, the, the work that we do with our spouse, with our kids, with what have you. That's what establishes, you know, the pathway and paves it and, and, and reinforces it. So, you know, you can have these temporary pathways with anybody and, you know, they're fleeting and they move forward. But when you sit there and build with somebody, you establish a richer, deeper, stronger pathway. And and and, and my belief is you can do this with anybody, but some are just easier than others. Hmm. You know, it's not as much work for you to do this with one of your children as it is for you to potentially do it with me or for you to do it with somebody else. Right. Now, again, even your relationship with cycling, it's, it's cycling shows you where love is. It's not the bike. Right. You know, and I think that's probably the one because you can replace the bike. Yeah. You know, you may have sentimental values to the bike, but you can replace it. Or I could show you some a bike that addresses certain issues. You may have knee issues, and here's a new bike that's better for your knees or what, what have you. But it's cycling that shows you where love is. But that also, you established a pathway with it. You know, it, it might have been love at first sight or lo- love at first ride. But for you to continually do it, I think there's an importance there. And I think the love of that is, you know, it goes beyond passion. You know, it's actually probably an obsession. And um, the way I define obsession is when the challenge of it excites you. You know, when I when I say, hey, let's, let's take the cycling trip. It's going to be, here are all the ways it's going to suck. And you look at that, you're like, ooh, I never had a chance to try that before. Yeah. And I've seen this. I, I, I have yeah. a friend who keeps meticulous records of we gamble on darts and video games. And I'm talking about d- a dollar. Like we'll play FIFA on PlayStation for a dollar, but he keeps the most meticulous records of who owes who what. And nobody, I, I think the biggest debt is $18. Um, and I thought he was just being extremely petty until I realized like 
that's his, his, his the activity of the data keep keeping the data uh-huh. that's exactly is his pathway to love because he also planned his his bachelor party he organized it himself and everybody left the bachelor party getting some of their original money back like he was so efficient with the planning um he's an airport security guard for a living you know he's a high school dropout he never he never pursued this he never realized he had this natural obsession whereas someone like me i'm not i'm not trying to go near a spreadsheet and this guy's spreadsheets on his phone to keep track of travel expenses to keep track of gambling debts and it's not about the money it's about the activity and it's about everybody kind of naturally finding what their thing is. And it is going to be different. And that's the reason the world is such a beautiful place, because somebody cares about something that we don't care about. Somebody cycling for you is bridge building for somebody else. It's 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 auto mechanics for somebody else. It's it's plumbing for somebody else. It's sculpting. It's it's architecture. It's writing books. It's rapping. And all of these put together create the system that we know of society and you know the 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 guy who cycles and 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 films it and 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 makes money off of that serves the purpose to 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 create content for everybody else wanting to get exposed to that and 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 they'll learn it that way and that's one of the reasons even you know when i was with a teacher is that the kids have so many subjects what you're trying to do is just get them to dip their toe into different things like you know for the next three months we'll learn about magnets then we'll learn about rocks then we'll learn about plants. Then we'll learn about animals and the life cycle. Then we'll learn about chemistry. And you're just trying to get them to dip their toe into it because for some of them, once they're exposed, like nothing will ever be the same. Once you you, you give a kid a little keyboard and they play with it, all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is my thing. I You have shown me where love is. And the beauty of that is it needs to be diverse for everybody because that's where the world is. And encouraging you know every every single human being when provided an opportunity of education or exposure to to different activities becomes a potential innovator and we you know and this is why it's so important to educate the planet because we have so many especially women who are underserved in this war in, in this in this part and when you put them in a position to discover where love is for them you know they're eventually going to use that to benefit society and 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 there's a beauty in that so for me when i look at love as i said it's about opening your sails and and, and find, finding that breeze and you found that breeze through cycling you find that breeze in your children you find that breeze in, in your wife uh you find that breeze maybe in a specific the song you 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 had your first kiss to maybe or you lot or to a certain film and i think the more of these pathways we establish as you said the less pressure we put on other people. Yeah, the way you and, say it, uh, man, again, the way you say it, it, ele- it, it does. It takes the pressure off, but it doesn't devalue the person. For you to say, and you said it, you show me where love is. And I'm, I'm just, I keep riffing on that, that yeah. for me to have somebody and say, man, I experience love in union with you more than maybe anyone else. How, how wonderful is that? It doesn't make you the end all yeah, tool. Again, that's a terrible word, I know. But I could say the same thing, you know, with music. Does does Humble make the best music on the planet? No. Is, is your music the only music I ever want to listen to? No. But somebody's going to come along and say, man, your music, it moves me like no other music. I experience X, love, whatever, through mm. your music. That elevates 
you, but takes the pressure off of, no, it is only your music. And if I don't listen to it every day, if I only go to your concerts, I can't go to anybody else's concert ever again. Uh, and it takes that pressure off while still elevating the beauty, the glory of, again, I love that line. You show me where love is. How beautiful and, is that? And in addition to that, yeah. the, the beauty of that from a, from a pragmatic relationship standpoint, um, and, and, and we all do this. We all want to share our enthusiasms with the people we love. Right. But we can strengthen these pathways of love if we ask them to share with us their enthusiasm. Yeah. You know, so instead of you going to your wife, hey, let's go cycling, say, hey, what is your cycling? Is it is it is it pottery? Is it knitting? Is it collecting gnomes? I don't know what it is. Dance. Whatever it is. Huh? What is dance it? would be hers. Dance. Is that and it's like, hey, let's dance. Yeah. And now what, what what that's going to do for her is now she's associating two different pathways of love together, strengthening both. Yeah. You know, diving into a world again. You have you have a, you have a bunch of children. Each of them are going to have unique ones. Uh, you know, friends, family, and and I think that is 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 a really big one because so often we feel so isolated in the things we love. We want to share people. I want you to hear my favorite song. I want you to watch my favorite movie. But really, it should be like, what is your favorite song? What is your favorite movie? Where where does where does love reveal itself to you? And let me join you there with a level of enthusiasm that makes you feel seen and heard and valued even more. And then again, not only is that the opposite, you know, not only does that not add pressure to them, you know, that helps relieve even more pressure for them because they feel like, okay. You know, the things that I love, I'm encouraged to do this both solo, but also my partner wants to be a part of it with me. Right. Pommel, the book, uh, the message is beautiful. It's poetic. Uh, and I found it profoundly poignant. So uh, thank you for being here and uh, for helping show me where love is. I'm honored. I appreciate you, you sharing your platform, you know, your audience and your time with me. Well, again, you can find Humble the Poet's new book, How to Be Loved, anywhere and find him and all his social media at HumbleThePoet.com. I just thank you for listening. And this right here is a show to really ponder and discuss with those you want to love and be loved by. I'm sincerely grateful that you've chosen to listen to me, Kevin Miller, and this podcast, Self Helpful. Hope you got great value I sincerely hope I've helped you help yourself so that you can help others. 